He's apologizing, which is not the same as apologetics. He's building in his church a cult of personality. He said that the faith has been dismantled. Okay, dismantled for whom? For him, but there are reasons for that. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Today, we're going to be talking uh, about a well-known pastor uh, named Andy Stanley, who is the founder of North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, and is a highly influential author and public speaker. Uh, despite having been raised up in a Baptistic theology, uh, despite being uh, under a traditional hermeneutic, Andy Stanley has found a way uh, over the last four or five years to say some things that are, that are pretty concerning as it concerns the Word of God, as it, as it concerns the final authority of God's Word. In a 2018 sermon series titled Aftermath, Stanley introduced his series with the following statement. If you were raised on a version of Christianity that relied on the Bible as the foundation of faith, a version that was eventually dismantled by academia or the realities of life, maybe it's time for you to change your mind about Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to consider the version of Christianity that relies on the event of the resurrection of Jesus as its foundation. If you gave up your faith because of something about or in the Bible, maybe you gave up unnecessarily. So. In this statement, the implication is obvious, and that is that the Bible is not necessarily our ultimate authority. That's what Andy Stanley is saying here. Rather, that the traditions of the church fathers and the historical account of the resurrection is the foundation on which Christianity is laid. Now, to discuss Andy Stanley and his often confusing pronouncements, I've invited Pastor Alan Shelby of the Living Faith Bible Institute and pastor of uh, Harvest Baptist Church in Blue Springs, Missouri. And so with all of that, welcome, Alan. Good to have you on the show, man. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, it's always good to have you. Well, it's always good to be here. And I, you know, I just have to say for anyone who ever gets asked, you should, you should definitely be on this podcast if Brandon asks you. Because you get to keep your cup. <laughs> That's true. Because they don't believe in washing cups here. So I'm not that. And you get that is a, that's a little known fact that, that people should be aware of. Is there there is a tchotchke that you get to home it, and you're right. We don't we don't want to wash the the mugs. So anyway, uh, it's good to have you. Um, this is this is a topic that you and I have discussed. I've also heard you make reference to some of the statements that Andy Stanley has made over the years in some of your sermons, and uh, and so I thought it would be really good for us to just kind of clear the air on this guy and figure out where it is that we differ uh, perspective-wise. This guy has 20-some-odd books. They're, they're very popular. Uh, his devotional materials are very popular. Small groups all over the U.S., all over the world are using his devotional materials to lead their small groups. And so uh, he's, kind of a, he's kind of a big deal. And I think it's worth us taking time to look at some of the statements that he's made in order to, to walk away with a biblical understanding and a more faith-based understanding. Let's dive in a little deeper into some of the things that he said. Um, by listening, actually listening to segments from a sermon series that Stanley preached called Investigating Jesus, where he begins this series by calling the prophetic authors, okay, the saints of old, um, superstitious. He refers to them as superstitious. So let's go ahead and listen to that. So um, here is what might be an uncomfortable 
question for some of us and um, an interesting and maybe even helpful and surprisingly honest question for others of us. When it comes to knowing if there is a God and if there is a God, what God is like, and when it comes to trying to figure out who God likes, does it really come down to the Bible tells us so? Or any other religious literature tells us so? I mean, we're modern people, rational people. Are we really expected to believe what we believe or believe anything based on a collection of ancient manuscripts written by potentially dozens of men only um, who didn't even know each other over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years in a world um, without science in the way that we think of modern science and um, in a world where everybody believed in the gods or some kind of God. I mean, let's just be honest, all right? Weren't they just making stuff up? I mean, weren't they just guessing? Weren't they just looking at the you know, weather patterns and trying to you know, make sense of something that just didn't make any sense in that time? And along with that, and maybe this is kind of intersects with your life, should we really be surprised that modern people, it seems more and more are kind of dismissing faith in general or deconstructing their faith, the terminology that we use now, we begin to ask, really hard questions or what seem to be hard questions about faith and realize we don't really have answers. And it's not that we're sure that we're right, that religion is wrong, but because we're not sure that religion is right, we just kind of step back and it's like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not sure about that anymore. I mean, should we be surprised more and more people are doing that or to make it personal? Um, should we be surprised that perhaps that's where you are or are you surprised that that's where you are? that maybe you're in the process of walking away or you just have so many questions, you're starting to lean away or maybe you're listening or watching today and honestly, nobody in your family knows this yet, but you have your hand on the doorknob. I mean, you're about to step away and outside of faith and you're not sure how your family's gonna respond, your friends are gonna respond, maybe even your employer is gonna respond, but you're just kind of leaning that way. And, if you know, the, all there is to this is the Bible tells us so, then we shouldn't be surprised. And you should be honest with yourself. I mean, if, if in fact the Christian faith balances precariously on the edge of ancient declarations of superstitious men, well then, why not? Why not? So Stanley in that video clip is essentially apologizing for a Christianity that believes the literality of Scripture. Uh, that, that's what he's doing. And, and uh, his justification is that the ancient authors were superstitious. Um, so, you know, what's your, what's your response to that kind of statement? And what is it that we need to know when we hear something like that? Well, you know, so Andy Stanley, you use the right word, he's apologizing, which is not the same as apologetic, right? That is his anthropology, his version of Christian anthropology. At one level, here's what has happened. Um, what Andy Stanley is giving you in that moment is how a lost man looks at history. So he's looking at history like a lost man. So a lost man looks back at the gods and the goddesses and all of this and says, oh, that was all made up. It, it is now, it may very well be superstitions and superstitious today. It's used superstitiously today. Mm -hmm. But that's only because 
the reality that was behind what you see is not functioning at the moment. Uh, but it's not mythology. It's not in the sense of being legend. It's not, it's not that. Right. But if you're going to reject a biblical historiography, so if you're going to reject what the Bible says about history, then that's what you come to. When it acts so, okay, where did those gods come from? He doesn't even know. He has no idea about Genesis 6 and, you know, other places and, and gods that come, come down and cohabit. He has, no, he has no idea about what went on before the flood that caused people after the flood right. to say, wow, I wish I still had that same power. I wish I still had that same contact. Let me, let me make some images of the people who existed before the flood and, uh, you know, maybe I can get them to come back. Yeah. And then in actual fact, what happens is they start worshiping that image and there is a spirit that starts reaching out to them from that image. Well, that's, I, I mean, that's not exactly, you know, if you have a biblical historiography, that's not exactly, um, that's not exactly just legend and myth. Right. There's a history behind it. Yeah. So he's rejected all of that, and then he's put the Bible in the same category as what he just rejected. Uh, as, uh, you know, as, and he says, okay, we know all the rest of this is made up. Oh, do we? So you're saying all that's made up, and that the Bible is in the same category as all that made up stuff. And I, I guess you could believe that were the case if it were not true. I mean, if the Bible were not true. So if you want to put the Bible in the same category as other sacred scriptures, read them. You read them. Actually read them, and then you tell me how they stack up. Right. You tell me how the Bible stacks up to, uh, to the Quran. Yeah. You, you tell me what you think. You, you really think that's in the same category? So here's the Bible, and it's got prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Things written hundreds of years ahead of time, fulfilled to the letter. Okay, so here's, you know, Isaiah talks about Cyrus 800 years before he's born and actually gives his name, and there it is, boom. I mean, boom goes the dynamite. Booyah. Um, um, Muhammad never did that. Right. Yeah, you know, he might have had, on the same level with all the psychics today, he might have had a guess or two that came right. A Nostradamus effect. Exactly. And that's it. And so that's where, you know, Andy Stanley is at. He's, he's, he's got an assumption. He said, he said that the faith has been dismantled. Okay, dismantled for whom? For him. Right. But there are reasons for that, both theological and personal. Right. And uh, so he's run in with that. So, okay, it is dismantled for those who did not watch and pray, those who did not watch unto prayer, those who did not walk circumspectly, uh, for those who are ignorant of, of Satan's devices. Okay, it is dismantled for them. Uh, it is dismantled for those who did not give attendance to reading. Um, and I will say on the popular level, it's dismantled for us. Now, I don't mean you and I, but I mean us as Americans, even us yeah, as evangelicalism. So yes. serve the survey shows. Uh, at least give it up. His desire to reduce the Bible to, uh, to the basis 
uh, all, all for, uh, to only being the basis for belief in Jesus. And that's all we can really know. And therefore, that's all we can, uh, you know, that we uh, uh, should go with in talking to people. And don't, you know, don't forget about the rest of it, okay? You know, it's, it's a shame that he's come to this place. Yeah. But he, uh, again, with those blinders on, he is willingly ignorant of so much else that's out there. So, you know, when he makes a statement like that, obviously, right out the, out the gate, what he's trying to do is undermine, as you said, the biblical historical record, um, the inspiration of the words themselves. And so when he does that, obviously, the end goal, the end objective is to say that the Bible doesn't apply to your life the way that you thought it did. That's the conclusion he's trying to draw, because what he wants is um, churchgoers and, and, and Christians that fill pews and are part of a communal lifestyle um, and that, that, you know, contribute to the growth, you know, of, of let's just call it his Christian movement or, or whatever it might be. I don't mean, I don't want to speak to his motives necessarily, but he is undermining God's word with a purpose that affects people's ability to apply truth to their life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like what you say, but, you know, he wants to say that it doesn't apply in the same way. What is the name of his dad's study Bible? What is the Charles Stanley study Bible? I don't know. It is the life application. It is the Charles Stanley life application study Bible, because that's what he was all about in yeah. his in his preaching. Yeah. And said over against that, here's Andy Stanley says this. Guys that preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, that's just cheating. It's cheating because that would be easy, first of all. That isn't how you grow people. No one in the Scripture modeled that. There's not one example of that. You unholy cheaters. I mean, that's pra practically every pastor probably that affiliates with us in any way. In, in Living Faith right. Fellowship, we're unholy cheaters. Because he says we don't know how to grow people. And now, you know, I wonder I wonder who points to North Point Church. Who points north? Who points south to North Point Church when they think of a place to grow spiritual people or to grow sanctification, which which really is spiritual growth. And least of all, discipleship. Do they point to Andy Stanley's church when they want to say, hey, there's a disciple-making church? And I'm willing to bet that the, you know, still married to women but happily, happily gay couples at his church do not even point to his church as, you know, a disciple-making. So, what, you know, what does he mean when he even says, you know, that... Um, uh, that's not how you grow people. Well, obviously, he means growing numerically. Mm -hmm. And again, we are back to getting lost people coming to either watch me in the moment or view my face on a, my image on a screen and worship my image on the screen mm -hmm. so that we can count nickels, we can count noses. Right. I mean, he's not. If he's not concerned the, about the Bible, he's not concerned about sanctification. He's not concerned about discipleship, because you're making people a learner of something, yeah, and a follower of someone in some way where you can tell them how to follow. Right. 
And, uh, you know, so it's a mess. But, uh, you know, this is just Andy Stanley. He is a placeholder. He is a cipher for all the rest of contemporary theology that fits right in that shirt. And so he becomes the authority. So people are rallying around him. Yeah. He's going to answer those hard questions. Right, right. And so, you know, in order to do that and in order for him to put him in a position where he is the one that is um, teaching life application, uh, you know, he, make, he has to make some more statements. And so we're going to look back at this series on investigating Jesus real quick. And we're going to play another, another clip here where the statements that he makes puts him solidly in the realm of heresy. The conversation really begins like this. Many of you, you're like me, many of you were brought up to believe this. Jesus loves me, this I know, right? I mean, if it's, it's a fabulous song. Most of our kids are still singing this song. We sang this song. Jesus loves me, this I know. What's the next line? Right, for the Bible tells me so. And this is where our trouble began. It really did. This is where our trouble began because, and don't leave, because the implication is, the implication is, this is important, the implication is the Bible is the reason we believe. The Bible is the reason to believe. In other words, I can believe Jesus loves me because it's in the Bible. I grew up in a church where basically the byline, the subtitle for everything was, if the Bible says it, that, anybody? Settles it right here on the front row. Yeah, that's right. If the Bible says it, that settles it. And so we send kids off to college with a, if the Bible says it, that settles it. And oh my goodness, they discover that that didn't settle it. And then they come home and they say, mom, dad, grandma, my granddad, uncle, aunt, did you know, did you know? And it's like, I don't ask those questions. The Bible says it, that settles it. The Bible says it, that settles it. The problem is this. The problem with that is this. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. In other words, Christianity cannot survive if the Bible goes away. Christianity cannot survive if somehow every single part of the Bible isn't absolutely true if the Bible is the foundation of our faith. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, it is all or nothing. This is why when you grew or growing up, every once in a while you would bring information to your parents or your grandparents or maybe somebody else who was raising you and you'd say, today at school we learned and they just kind of shut you down. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. We're Christians. We don't believe that. It's like, yeah, but it's true. Well, we don't believe that. Well, what was that about? Why are Christians so afraid? Why are Christians so fearful? Why are we not the most curious people and scientifically oriented people in the world? And I'll tell you why because you were raised in a culture like I was raised in, and it was all or nothing. If anything proves that something in the Bible isn't actually, absolutely, historically, scientifically reliable, uh-oh, the whole thing comes tumbling down because this version of Christianity is a house of cards. And all you have to do is pull out one card and the whole thing comes tumbling down. Christianity becomes a fragile house of cards that comes tumbling down when we discover that perhaps the walls of Jericho didn't. When we discover or we're told that perhaps there was no exodus from Egypt to the promised land, that there's no historical evidence of that. When we're told in school and in graduate school that there's no evidence for a worldwide flood when people point out apparent contradictions in the Bible, when in school we're told there's no way the earth is 6,000 years old, it's four and a half or 4.55 billion years old and the universe is 14 and a half billion years old and all of a sudden all we have to do, you know, the, the tension is around, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, but science has said, science has said, the Bible says, science has said, the Bible says, and all of a sudden there's this extraordinary, extraordinary tension. If the Bible, if the Bible, 
If the bi entire Bible isn't true, then let's be honest, the Bible isn't true. So, you know, he goes on to basically say that the Bible, you know, it's not divine uh, in its record or depiction of God. His, his claim to Christianity or, or of Christianity is that, is that we ought to believe the Bible itself in terms of the accounts. We are supposed to. So he does a little um, kind of bait and switch here where he says, we're not to look to the Bible and its accounts for truth, but we are supposed to rely on aspects of the Bible to provide us with a historical record that substantiates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't want to throw out Jesus, even though he's throwing out, he's throwing out the Bible. So what's your response to these undermining claims that he's making? Well, so if you step back and look at what Andy Stanley is actually doing, to step back and examine what what we just saw there in those four minutes or so, mm -hmm. you you see that Andy Stanley is trying to overthrow the culture he grew up in. Okay, mm -hmm. so his issue is with his culture that he grew up in, mm -hmm. which he knows many of the people setting in his congregation grew up with similar culture. But you do need to understand the backstory to Andy Stanley, I think, in order to understand why he went with that stream of contemporary theology. Mm -hmm. And the backstory to Andy Stanley is that, you know, he disagreed with his dad over his mom divorcing his dad. Mm -hmm. And Andy Stanley felt like his dad should resign. Yeah, his dad is a well-known pastor, for those who don't know. Right. Some of the Charles Stanley. Yeah, yes. You know, Charles Stanley, he's, what, I don't know, 90 years old now. I don't know if he's passed yet. Man. So obviously he's not actively pastoring, but, you know, you know, probably there are a lot of other preachers out there who feel like they owe royalties to Charles Stanley. Uh, you know, because he, he's got a good way of looking for things, good outlines, um, you know, and and uh, generally um, um, uh, steered a straight course regarding preaching the Bible in a solid way. Yeah. Now, not 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 that you would get out of him what we teach. Right. Well, um, you know, his uh, son Andy was on staff at the time and thought his dad should resign and give the church the opportunity to say yes or no. Do we want you as the pastor? since your wife is divorcing it. And, you know, Charles Stanley wasn't having any of that. So, uh, you know, Andy or people on his behalf said, all right, give us this campus and let that be our church plan because they had multiple campuses in around the Superman area. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't having any of that. And so eventually Andy uh, did, did resign his dad's church and started a new one, North Point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in one sense, they would look at it and say, well, that was a good thing because now you've got, you've got multiplied, multiplied multi-campus ministries. But the other part of the personal backstory to Andy Stanley was that his hero was Bill Hybels. At the time when everything about Bill Hybels and Willow Creek Association was seeker sensitive. Right. Now, we should all be soul conscious. That's different, I will say, from being seeker sensitive. 
So we ought to be evangelistically soul conscious. But seeker sensitive ended up meaning, let's figure out how can I grow the numbers in my church? Let's get lost people in making them feel comfortable. And and now I'm, you know, I'm, you may say, well, and that's, you know, that's really feisty of you today. And uh, you're, <laughs> you're really taking a negative. Well, uh, all I'm doing is saying they did their own study. So at the end of this whole thing, they do their own study and say, you know what? We've been wrong all along. None of this has been working. Mm-hmm. None of that. We've got to, you know, multi-campus, tens of thousands, mentorship, what? You know, but none of this has been working. And then you look at you know, setting aside the alleged improprieties regarding Bill Hybus. So Andy Stanley had personal issues with his dad. I believe that affected how he viewed things. Because Andy Stanley is on record as trashing expository preaching. I don't know if he knew that or not. Okay, so he spoke at Dallas Seminary, of all places, and he trashed expository preaching. He said it's cheating. That's cheating. It's too easy. <laughs> and you know, and he just ran down expository preaching. Well, that's kind of what his dad was all about, right? And so he had uh, personal issues. Uh, I think that get to motive, maybe in some respects. Um, And uh, he had heroes that influenced him. That is the backstory to Andy Stanley. That is, I will say, the importance, his importance at this point in time, at least for us. Because all he's doing is he's being the reflector of exactly what's going on in contemporary theology with regard to evangelicalism and even Baptist to it. Yeah. He's building in his church a cult of personality. Yeah. He's going to be no more, more cool with one of his staff members actually going out to start and plant their own church than his dad was with him. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not known for discipleship, church planting, they're not missions, they're not known for that. They're not known for the things that actually make a biblical, biblically functioning church. Mm-hmm. So he is building a cult of personality around himself. And all of that four minutes that we just watched was, a, was about his arguments. He referred to things without addressing any evidence. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, you know, there's good evidence against right. some of the arguments he brought up, but he doesn't go with evidence. Of course not. It's all about his arguments. The reason he's taking the sides, the side that he's taking, is because your only point of contact with the Word, the capital W Word, your only point of contact with the Word of John chapter 1 is through the Word, small w, words of God in the Bible. That's your only point of contact. If he can sever, now I'm not, I don't know how much of that is his motive, but it's somebody's motive. Yeah. And he's being the agent. Yeah. And I think the, the interesting thing about what you're saying is that, that motives um, are, are, are important because we want to um, make sense 
a world. Yeah, we want an explanation. We want an explanation. And part we don't want to We want an explanation as lost man. That's and that's what I was getting at is that is that the narrative has to substantiate or justify the way in which we want to live or move forward. And so people take the same situation and create two different narratives in order to to scaffold or strengthen the argument that they want to make for the life that they want to live. And I guess I feel like when I listen to this, I was saying Eddie Stanley, you can hear that there is some sort of motive and that the motive at the end of the day is a, is a personal justification that warrants his, his decision-making from walking away from his father's ministry to the point in which he's establishing his own, right? He is like, like most of us, we want to feel better about ourselves. And for him, he thinks that that requires him putting the Bible aside and relying on his own intellect and, and willpower. Yeah. And, you know, his his whole thesis is you can't believe it just because the Bible says that it's so. And what he's guilty of is exactly what he condemns in other people. And he is he's he is deconstructing. That's not preaching. That's an anthropology that deconstructs the faith of the people who are sitting there listening to him and watching. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a listen uh, to this excerpt uh, from the series Aftermath that I referenced earlier, the series where he, he makes several more astounding claims. Church leaders, the church leaders who were closest to the action, who understood better than we ever will. Church leaders unhitched the church from the worldview, the value system, and the regulations of the Jewish scripture. Not just how a person became a Christian, they unhitched the church from the entire thing, the whole worldview, that God loves Jews better more than he likes other people, that you're to build walls and hunker down and you know, wait for God to protect you. Jesus said, no, you're supposed to go to other nations and share this message. Everything's different, everything's new. The whole worldview, the imperatives, everything's new. And finally, 20 years after the resurrection, Peter and James and John and Barnabas, they detached the church from Judaism, not because there was something wrong with Judaism, but because Judaism, the law of Moses was a means to an extraordinary end. Besides, the Old Testament prophets predicted it. Besides, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, I've fulfilled it. I've landed that plane. I've completed that assignment. The Jewish scriptures, if, and I know this, this leaves a lot of unanswered questions, and we're going to come back in maybe a couple of months and talk about some of these unanswered questions, but here's the, the broad context when you think about your Old Testament or the Old Testament. The Jewish scriptures, the Jewish scriptures are the backstory for the main story. Now, is this important? It's like, it's fascinating, Andy. You're about out of time. Is this really all that important? Yeah, here's why. Look up here. Because many have lost faith. Many have lost faith because of something about the Bible or in the Bible, the Old Testament in particular. Once they could no longer accept all the historicity of the Old Testament, once they couldn't go along with all the miracles, once somebody poked a hole in the Genesis creation you know, myth, once all that went away, suddenly their house of cards faith came tumbling down because they were taught it's all true, it's all God's word, and if you find one part that's not true, uh-oh, the whole thing comes tumbling down, not Christianity. The Bible did not create Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus created and launched Christianity. Your whole house of Old Testament cards can come tumbling down. The question is, did Jesus rise from the dead? And the eyewitnesses said, 
he did. On the surface, initially, the things that he's saying seem to be right here, how he kind of, he, he kind of, everything's a ploy to get you to this point in his sermon. Everything is leading up to this moment. And he begins to almost feel like he's retracting some of his statements, which is one of, I think, one of the things that he, he does is he, he sets up his audience and then he reframes the entire context at the end. And so you listen to this at first and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, we do have a new covenant. Uh, that was the old covenant. But I don't think he means the same thing that we mean when we say old and new covenant. Um, so what is he saying when he says that, that the backstory, that the Old Testament was the backstory to the main story? And why do we disagree with the thing? What's going on behind the scenes of that statement? Because again, on the surface, you could say, okay, yeah, I, I, underst I understand that. Uh, that makes sense. But what he's saying is not exactly what he means. Um, so what about, what about that? And what about unhitching, the idea of unhitching from the Old Testament? What is that? Why is that long? Why would we disagree with that? Yeah. So I think I would say that is simply more evidence of the assertion that I would make that he is unhitching from culture, from church culture, and doing it by creating a cult of cult of personality around him. Mm -hmm. Now, his, his motives, personal motives may be unclear. They don't, but the, clear, the clarity is, the unconfusing thing is who is behind the scenes using him, whatever his motives are, because the evidence for that is what you see right here. Demons cannot do exegesis. You know you're dealing with doctrines of devils because demons can't do exegesis. And it is not that the Old Testament is the backstory for the main story. It may be that the Old Testament is the prequel for the sequel. But the main story is in the Old Testament. Remember, he... He's not about the Bible because he and his dad were never about the kingdom. And that is what God is about. He's about a kingdom for his son. We simply happen to be the subjects. Praise the Lord. Right. You know, I'm glad, uh, you know, a king needs subjects as well as territory. And uh, he's got us for that. But it's still about a kingdom. There's a reason why the first book in the Bible is Genesis and why it is named Genesis, because it, everything begins right there. Since he did not go back to the beginning and start in the right place, and he cannot do biblical exegesis, he wants to fool you into thinking, or those who are behind him utilizing his motives want to fool you into thinking. Mm -hmm. That the Old Testament was the backstory to the main story. The main story is is the the New Testament, and you know he's 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 got to get you to that. And, and so forget about unhitch from the Old Testament. Now, in his defense, what he later said was that in the context of this sermon, Acts chapter fifteen, mm -hmm. he was simply pointing out that the apostles unhitched the law of Moses right. from the gospel. Now, that's, he's not real clear on that. No. In this actual sermon, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. 
So we can see what is happening here, and we know what he is doing, mm -hmm. and uh, we know what the real story is. And uh, so what had happened was, and you, you know, before we started the podcast, we were, you and I were talking about his position on the virgin birth and things right. like that. Right. And then it seems like later on he backpedals. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'll tell you exactly what his own defense is. It is the same one that, uh, you know, the Jack Hiles, bless his heart, used to give back in the day. And so Jack Hiles would preach this one sermon, and it's all do and duty and duty and do, and it's all on you. And, you know, your holiness is on you. Your spirituality is on you. Don't drink, don't smoke. I mean, don't wear wiring glasses. Don't wear bell bottom jeans. I don't know that's culture. I, I'd like to overthrow, but anyhow. <laughs> um, so, okay, all, all of that. And then, and then, you know, two or three sermons later, he'll talk about grace and he'll, you know, talk about what God's done for us and all of that. And you can defend, you know, the only way you can defend him is by saying, well, you know, you can't just listen to one sermon. You've got to listen to a number of them. Right. That is exactly what Andy Stanley says about how he preaches. Mm -hmm. He says, well, you can't listen to just that one sermon. Right. Now, why does he say that? He says that because when he makes comments like he is making right here that we just watched, mm -hmm. he gets pushback. Well, he doesn't want to lose those people who are pushing back against him any more than he wants to lose all the lost people who are coming, either to be in front of him or to worship his image on a screen. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't want to lose those people, so he changes his tune. Yeah. He changes his tune to keep them. But it creates so much confusion along the way, that, which is ultimately exactly what Satan wants pastors to do. Like if he can get if he can get the leaders of churches, the men the men that stand in front of congregations week after week, to present information as truth, uh, but then if they could somehow along the way uh, create confusion in the midst of these proclamations, then he's getting exactly yeah, what he does. Yeah. Yes, because it's a Hegelian dialectic, right? I mean that is that is uh, best a lost man can do on a good day. If you're going to throw away a biblical historiography. And definition of history, mm -hmm. then what will you what you will say is what we've always observed, and what and what Hegel said we observed a dialectical system, a thesis, an antithesis. They come in, and there's a higher truth. Okay, well he's doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. He's positing an antithesis, and then, you know, and then if somebody says, "But no, this is really the thesis," and he says, "All right, well, so yeah, back off of that and." And say, are we so much better by having answered your hard questions? And you know, the interesting thing about what you're saying, too, because you use the phrase deconstruction, he uses it in, in one of the sermons, is that Derrida, who was a, you know, a lost man, the, the philosophy of deconstruction itself is that there is not one clear solution or answer or truth to any given matter that it must be approached from a multiplicity of viewpoints and that somewhere in between is an answer. Somewhere. And that the more mature you are as an individual, uh, the more accepting you are of all the multiple viewpoints. And you can almost and feel that happening to you. Yeah. And the less certainty you have, for sure. And you can almost feel that happening in these sermons as he comes with all these different vantage points and then makes a quasi-claim at the end 
but yet it doesn't land solidly on, on a pure foundation that says here is where truth is derived, here is... Yeah. So, if, now, this is another part of the backstory to Andy Stanley, and this is maybe a more theological one, because Andy Stanley stands in the line of the other sons of evangelical grades who deconstructed their faith. So poor Ahimplo, um, uh, another Christian deconverter, uh, deconverted Christians, Bart Campolo, the son of the progressive evangelical Tony Campolo. And uh, Bart is or was the humanist chaplain now at USC and a speaker for the Secular Student Alliance. Well, there's also Frankie Schaefer. He was the son of Francis Schaefer, mm -hmm. who also transitioned from the Christian faith to become what he describes as an atheist who believes in God. So they're, they are famous. So what, what Andy Stanley is establishing for you is a greater set of divorces than his uh, dad ever got mm -hmm. because he wants to divorce faith from fact. In other words, truth from belief. Okay, you've got belief as the thing, forget about truth. You can't have both. So this is, this is what is called a false dichotomy. So it's a, lot, a logical fallacy where you say that, okay, it's either one or the other. You can either have truth or you can have belief, but you can't have both. You can have faith or you can have fact, and the facts uh, are against the faith, so you can have one or the other. Now, you can either have the Bible or you can have the gospel. Now, that is the dichotomy. Mm -hmm. He has set you up, yeah. yeah, and it's false. So, you know, somewhere in his backstory in his life, Andy Stanley had a teacher who started with assumptions that show an anti-supernatural bias. And so in his mind, he thought truth was not true mm -hmm. and the Bible was not true. And because of his lack of discipleship, because of his lack of leading a disciple-making church, and because of the lack of sound doctrine. So, so you know, uh, next class I'll teach at LFBI is our, what we call systematic theology, so it can be accepted by other institutions and teach the same class. Right. Um, it's a common class. Uh, yes, and I, you know, I refer to it more as a uh, survey of theology. Can I just give a plug? Uh, I'm not throwing shade on anybody else or anything that's being taught. Sure. I'm just saying, I think it's one of the most important classes. Yeah. Uh, that uh, you, people need this. Yes, it is. You've got to have sound doctrine. If you do not start from a point of sound doctrine, you don't even know what the Bible is. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it's about. And he doesn't know what it's about. He doesn't know it's about a kingdom. Yeah. He doesn't know that the New Testament is what he's referring to in the New Testament as the gospel and so that's not the main story that that is uh, that is that is a, a motif going along with the main scene mm -hmm. but it's not the main story that's a subplot so the main plot but the main plot starts in genesis and that's what he's unhitched from yeah and because he's unhitched he's unhitched and you know you just gotta get you gotta have sound theology yeah so you know uh andy stanley has become well known um, over the last, you know, couple decades, few decades, he's become very popular, you know, with the seeker-sensitive folks and, and with that, with millennials, uh, millennials who are starting families, millennials who want um, basically a, a form of their faith that doesn't look like their parents' uh, fundamentalism. And much of his rhetoric, 
you know, could be reduced to, to trying to sound countercultural. That's part of the ploy. Uh, but why is this? Why is ultimately as we as we leave? Why is he a person that represents a voice? Okay, that the that backstory, the the people that are involved in framing and 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 creating uh, preachers and teachers like Andy Stanley. Why is he an example for us of what to listen for and to watch for when we get on podcasts, when we get on YouTube, when we're listening to other? How do we? Uh, I think part of it is what you just said. We need dispensational theology. We need a systematic theology. We need we need courses like that. They're going to help us ground ourselves in God's word. Um, but, but what are we listening for when we're listening to these teachers? Okay. So, we, so we can say that he's popular with the seeker, seeker sensitive. You know what? I bet that most of the people of the, what's he got? Let's say 20,000 between however many campuses he may have, eight or 16, I don't know. But I will say that most of those people are not lost people, are not seekers who are, who are coming to, because they think they need something. Most of those people are people from other area, Baptist churches, who are comfortable with the dumbed-down yeah. doctrine yeah. and non-preaching and combination of anthropology, sociology, and psychology that he gives them on Sunday versus uh, getting into the Word of God. Uh, you know, and who... Who can, who, you know, there's a reason why there's a famine in the land. Who can fault him? Mm-hmm. Andy Stanley, okay, there's a sense in which it's not all his fault because he was not given the certainty of the words of truth mm-hmm. in the Bible that he had, and instead he went to Southern Baptist seminaries, and he was fed all of those things which were the tools he then used to deconstruct his own faith. Right. And yes, your Bible will come down like a house of cards if that's your Bible. Yeah. I mean, if that's your Bible, sure. If you have a Bible that doesn't have God's words, only has thoughts, ideas, a message mm-hmm. of life principles. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, I think his dad preached pretty solid. But if all you have is life principles and you do not have a certainty of the words of truth, then that is the slippery slope, and this is what it devolves down to, and that is exactly where Andy Stanley is at, and I think his church is comprised of people who are Christians deconstructing their faith along with him, because that's what they're comfortable with, is a mix of psychology, sociology, and anthropology, not the words of God. They cannot accept the idea that God's words present to them, that there, that there is an act, they can have an actual contact with the Word of God, capital W, in this life, and that those words will judge them. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in one way, it's not all his fault, because all he's doing is echoing Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, uh, N.T. Wright, uh, all he's doing is is uh, echoing their same hypocrisy. 
So here's N.T. Wright. He wants you to view your Bible as a five-act play because even he, with his Ph.D., cannot squeeze Anglicanism into every part of the Bible. Right. So, so you've got to view it as five different acts. And yet he's deaf on dispensations, deaf on dispensationalism. And, you know, here's, here's Andy Stanley doing the same thing. He is just as hypocritical with what he's saying about the Word of God. But all he's doing is being a mouthpiece, being an echo. He's, he doesn't preach. You know, he prides himself on not preaching. With, if he calls what he does preaching, not doing it with notes, doing it without notes. Mm-hmm. Um, Somewhat in the same way a lot of preachers I grew up with get up, read one verse, shut the Bible, yell and scream for 35 minutes sure. uh, angrily. And I'm like, well, why did I even bring my Bible today? Now, he does enough lip service to the Bible to make you think he's preaching Acts 16, but not verse by verse, not expositorily. He wants to drill down on inserting the skepticism of his professors mm-hmm. and the scholars and what he calls science that is falsely so-called and insert that into the text and then make you believe along with him because then you'll be more comfortable with the Jesus he's presenting to you because that Jesus, that big that big W is not going to use his little W to judge you with mm-hmm. and you'll keep coming and giving money and feeling good about, you know, all the social things that you happen to do at the time. Yeah. So at the bottom line, does does the mind of God have the authority or does yours? It's pretty evident. His Andy Stanley thinks his mind is the authority, not the mind of God. Right. And uh, are you going to sit in judgment in Scripture? Or is it going to sit in judgment on you? Well, that's very clear. He's sitting in judgment on the Scripture. <clears throat> and are you going to be critical in the Bible, or are you going to let it criticize you? Well, he's not going to. You know, his dad criticized him for two. As a matter of fact, during that time, so there were a few years. Uh, that he's on the staff with his dad and all of this drama is going on with his mom and, you know, he takes one position and is, you know, so so his dad goes so far as to start preaching on Absalom. Absalom is David. David. Yeah. And uh, Andy took that personal. I would think so. And uh, so, okay, his dad judges him enough. He's not going to have a Bible that's going to judge him. He's not going to give you a Jesus that's going to judge you. Um, that's why it's all about the positive, the one positive part, kind of the, yeah. the one positive part in the gospel, right. resurrection. Right. And the death, and that, you know, it's not about the death. Huh. Yeah, I mean, kind of, and then about the blood. Blood's kind of negative. It's not about death. It's not about burial. Uh, it's only going to be about resurrection. Mm-hmm. And well, let's give you the positive part. Nothing that's going to judge you. Let me get all the psycho fads together. And I'll give you my version, and that will be my gimmick to get you to keep coming. Yeah. And support what we're doing and buy orange and buy our curriculum and buy, you know, there's a reason why money is the root of all evil. You know why? Because it takes money. To produce your idols. That's why money's the root. It takes money to produce things, and then you can be covetous of those things, which is idolatry. 
So instead of pastors of churches around this country being covetous of sound doctrine and covetous because somebody actually has a certainty of the words of truth and covetous because somebody can actually teach them the word of God, they get covetous about what Andy Stanley's got and say, well, you know, if I do it like he does it, mm -hmm. and if I buy one, he's selling. Well, then I'll be, you know, I'll have a church like him. Mm -hmm. And we'll start a campus someplace and they'll worship my face and my image in that spot. And, you know, that, that will be so great. And so, again, I call it a personality. Money's the root of the evil there. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it all gets back to idolatry, and that's certainly what makes the secular world go around. But unfortunately, a lot, of, yeah, a lot of what makes Christianity on the evangelical level go around. Alan, a sober warning, um, good for us to hear. Um, I, I think there's a lot of, of young believers who are may have never, never even heard of Andy Stanley. Yeah. Like they're not familiar with you know. And maybe in our circles that are not familiar with his work or his material or whatever. But the warning that comes along with this is good for all of us in that we do need to uh, regard God's work as the final authority. We need, we need to substantiate in our hearts and our lives that God's work will be the final authority in its doctrines, but also in its applications to our life. And that, that just like Andy Stanley said, if, if one card is false or wrong, the whole thing comes tumbling down. The good news is our house of cards, these cards are built with CNET blocks. You know what I mean? They're built on a cornerstone. They're made, they're made of something more sure, and they're not, they're not tumbling down. They're, they're built to avoid that. Um, and so thank you for the warning, uh, and thank you for reminding us that we need to, to look to God's work for the answers and, and not to ourselves or to the gurus out there. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And that's why God says we have the certainty of the words of truth, which, like most all of the other verses that actually connect the big W and the little W word of God, is changed by all the modern translations. None of the other translations read like that. Right. But, we, but that is why we've got it. You know, we've got it so that, you know, so I, you know, I would ask people watching or listening, like, do you have a course or are you even on course? The Bible lays out for you a race that you are to run. And, you, and you've got to come to a success. You've got to keep running on it. Everyone who runs through the tape wins. Can you win something? You get a crown. And, and there's a share of the inheritance that the Father gives to the Son that you get in on and, and a rulership with Him. But have you kept the faith? Are you in danger of being deconverted because of all the skepticism that is out there? We've, we've fallen so far. My main thesis for this episode would be this. The devil's greatest fear is for the child of God to persist in publishing the faith. The mm -hmm. devil's greatest fear is for the child of God to know he has the word of God and then to persist in preaching that word Alan, thank you for being with us and for being willing to do these shows with us. Uh, I know that it's difficult trudging through the, the heresies of our world and then, uh, and then have something to, positive to end on. And so we are, we're thankful for all the time and energy that you put into to this study and into being with us today. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thanks for asking. 
And we want to thank you for joining us as well for this episode of The Postscript. I know we've talked about a lot today. Uh, talked a lot about um, a lot about mistruths in our world that that do prevail, uh, at least on the surface. And, you know, at least on the surface of our world, at least in terms of the culture, it seems as though the enemy is prevailing. But at the end of the day, we do know that our mighty fortress, our God, is the one that will prevail. But we need to side with truth. We have to. And so with that, I want to plug one more time the upcoming course that Alan is going to be teaching which is systematic and dispensational theology, uh, where he presents uh, a basically uh, a form of comparing scripture with scripture through dispensationalism or hermeneutic that we use to understand God's word, uh, the science of studying God's word, but then also a systematic, which is a survey of all the major doctrines that are important to us as believers, the, the doctrines that we derive from that, 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 uh, that form of hermeneutic. And so we want to invite you to join us. If you want to better understand your Bible, you should sign up for that class with Pastor Alan Shelby. But with all that said, we love you. We're grateful for you. We're thankful for the time that you've spent with us. If this is an episode that you think will be impactful to others, please share it, uh, write a review. But uh, we will see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.